0: Scott Case, welcome. Uh, Let's start with a little bit about who you are and uh, why you know so much about supply chain.
1: Sure, absolutely. So my background is literally, I, I grew up in the business. My father started a business as a customs broker when I was young, but he actually worked for a freight forwarder before I was born. So I've been used to my dad just being all over the planet. Um, In the late 70s, he started that business. And then when I came out of college at Northwestern, a local kid, uh, back in the early 90s, I started working in the family business and had the opportunity to do the same thing. So I was involved operationally in freight forwarding, which is the moving of goods into and out of the United States and, and throughout the U.S. domestically and I'm also a licensed customs broker so that means that I had a license from treasury at the time now now DHS and and the customs service to be able to do this commercially for importers who were looking to bring goods into the country. Uh, I did it for about 20 years or so. And then in 2012, started a company that does marketing and branding for those companies, just parlaying what I learned and and picked up over the course of those years and those travels to help companies who maybe weren't able to find the words themselves, how to talk about their businesses.
0: That's great. And you and I were talking the other day about something I thought was really interesting, which is why I wanted to get you um, on a podcast talking about it. Which was, you know, I've talked to so many businesses about what's different for them, about, you know, people and sales and all these other kind of things. And you kind of brought up some ideas about what people need to think about relative to, you know, what you just talked about with your experience. I'm curious if you want to kind of share some of that and we'll kind of dig in where uh, it gets interesting.
1: Absolutely. So I I think the biggest change that's taken place under the COVID pandemic is just how much forward it's brought um, e-commerce and e-commerce buying. I read something from DHL in one of the reports that they provided that the e-commerce volumes that they were anticipating in 2030 were actually brought forward now into 2020 because of the pandemic. Um, Traditionally, we've already seen supply chains start to get upended in terms of brick and mortar. So I would say that stores were already feeling pressure from platforms like Amazon, Alibaba, AliExpress, just other sort of online retailers and trying to figure out how to manage that, just the, the typical anchor store uh, the anchor store experience that people would take when they would go to buy things, they just they just move that online. Well, obviously in, in the pandemic that we experienced earlier this year, and now unfortunately is coming back, we're starting to people, seeing people make that pivot. So it's going to be a very e-commerce centric Christmas. A lot of, I, I don't think we're going to see the traditional Black Friday, the, the usual scene of the crush of people getting into a retailer at, at late on Thanksgiving Eve or at the stroke of midnight on that Friday just isn't going to happen this year. So supply chains and companies have had to pivot to understand how to put that cargo and how to put those purchases directly in the hands of their buyers instead of into a larger sort of distribution point, either like a warehouse or into an actual brick and mortar store, um, bypass that and go right to their doorstep um, and try and find the capacity to do it through an integrator or through the U.S. Postal Service.
0: Yeah. You know, I imagine the the other part that's gotten tricky is, you know, what about the cross-border trade has made this, you know, a lot more complicated than maybe it would have been just eight months ago?
1: The cross-border trade has has seen a couple of different things in play. If, if we look at it sort of at the high level, which is happening, at, if you will, at the wholesale level, and then what's happening down at the retail level for the person like you and I who may be buying something online, um, we watched freight rates plummet to, to just record lows in March when cargo wasn't moving. I, I think that people in the supply chain were feeling COVID well on before people in North America were. I know that a lot of my logistics customers were looking at things in January when it was starting to, to spread very quickly quickly through China. China left for the Lunar New Year holidays and then people weren't able to return to those factories. So the traditional restart of manufacturing that takes place in China, say two to three to four weeks after Lunar New Year, never took place because China was closed. That led to a longer than normal cascade. There was no cargo moving on the eastbound Trans-Pacific. And even a bigger problem at the time that started then and is is exacerbating now is that empty containers weren't moving back and forth either because it costs more to move cargo eastbound to North America or even westbound to Europe than it does to bring it back to Asia just because of the mix of commodities. So what was, what wasn't happening was that empty containers weren't getting back to Asia. They're still not getting back to Asia at the rate that they need to. So even though we're seeing higher than ever levels, the, I believe that the trade deficit in August hit a 14 year record, the port of long beach announced that in October they hit, they were like 19% up year on year from last year. Mm. Um, All of this is coming in, but those empty boxes aren't going back out. So we're now looking at actually record freight rates to maybe two and a half times where they were at the end of March. Um, And part of the other thing that's contributing to that is the lack of air freight capacity. So we're all used to passengers and flying. I mean, you fly, I fly. We we both have to do it as a course of our business. Right, sure. And one of the things that we don't think about is that while we're riding upstairs, Freight is riding downstairs and paying part of that way as well. But if you're a passenger airline, you're making money on the people riding upstairs. You're not making it on the boxes riding downstairs. So cargo that would traditionally move by air freight, whether it be, um, whether it be pharmaceuticals, pre-vaccine, whether it be consumer items or any number of those things, um, they've been deprived of an opportunity to move from the manufacturing point to the destination point. Add the crush of PPE, and we watched air freight rates just spike at a time that there wasn't any available capacity for ocean freight to be able to bring those things here plus the fact we were in a hurry to use every glove every mask every gown sure. that first responders and frontline healthcare workers needed
0: Yeah and now so what's going to happen when and if we get a vaccine that needs to be distributed to every last person in the US how do we how do we handle that and how does it impact what you just talked about
1: it's not even so much every last person in the US, it's every last person in the world. Um, I was actually privy to a webinar a couple of weeks ago um, that was hosted by a gentleman who's who's fairly senior with Lufthansa Cargo out of New York. And one of the things that he indicated is that the challenge is going to be the types of vaccines that are moving. Uh, I'm not sure if you've seen on the news or just been following along, a number of the early candidate vaccines that look like they might be eligible and able to go need to be kept extremely, extremely cold. And by extremely cold, I mean minus 70 Celsius cold. Um, So what's happening right now is that, that according to the slide that I saw, The manufacturing is taking place in St. Louis, in Massachusetts, in New Jersey, and they've actually set up these very cold storage farms in, of all places, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Uh, UPS has also made an investment in these freezer farms where they're going to be able to keep the stuff as cold as possible. But now to transport it, they're developing special boxes. They're going to be heavily packed in dry ice, which is able to keep it at the temperature that they need. So companies are used to moving pharmaceuticals already there's just going to be an incredible urgency that happens to be attached to these particular pharmaceuticals. Um, yeah. It's going to come with a security challenge because this is going to be among the most high value cargo that you could possibly manage. Um, it's going to come with a health challenge because if anything happens to a box of that vaccine in transit, that's 5,000 doses out. So there's a there's a risk and a cost there. Um, and it's just going to be very high visibility. Um, I, I think that if you look at the mix of passenger cargo or the mass mix of passenger aircraft and cargo aircraft, there are also limitations on how much dry ice can be put onto a plane because of the carbon dioxide that's or the carbon carbon dioxide that's given off as, as the dry ice um, starts mm. to shrink. So we're, just because you have 100 metric tons of capacity inside of a 747 doesn't mean that you can put 100 metric tons of cargo in there because of the dry ice and other things that will be necessary. Um, I think it's going to be moved by ground. I think it's going to be moved by air. Um, the, the integrators who I mentioned have also, have also said that they're committed to be able to move this through their system. So we're looking at really a perfect storm for air freight. Of, of a lack of a dim, of a diminished amount of capacity because the passengers mm-hmm. aren't traveling, um, because of an already crush of e-commerce, especially if this starts to hit, say, pre-Christmas. Um, we obviously all want the vaccine to be here as fast as possible, but if it happens after the holiday rush, then there's a greater chance that we're not going to see as many hiccups as we otherwise would. Say, if it needed to start moving the 1st of December and there's, there's 25 days till Christmas, what do we right. do with all that capacity then? Um, So shippers are really and rightly worried. Transport costs have been going up. I'm I'm sure you've seen it at the grocery store. Other people have seen it, aside from just the stockouts of shortages in supply chain, because things aren't able to be produced or aren't able to get here. What is getting through here does have extra costs because of the fewer methods or the fewer amounts of transportation that are available, the congestion and the extra costs that are coming into people having to put COVID protocols to manage that cargo and manage that freight as it moves its way through the system.
0: Yeah, you know, earlier you were talking about how, you know, shippers saw a lot of what was happening uh, before the rest of the economy did. Flipping that around, looking at, you know, next year or at some point when things open up again, what are the things, You what, what indicators would you look at to show, to tell you that, oh, it looks like maybe something is changing, maybe back toward what we used to expect?
1: Um, I think the pivot is going to be when we start when we stop having to think of small boxes getting to people's doorsteps, that's going to be one We're we're going to see sort of a lessening of the demand on trucks we 're going to see what the mix of parcel pieces is that happens to be moving final mile either through integrators through platforms who manage their own drivers that that 'll be another thing. Um, containers right now are in short supply, and container manufacturing, which happens a lot which happens in Asia as well, is basically booked through February of next year. so all of the indications from from professional trade magazines and and people who watch this space are that this is going to continue really through Lunar New Year 2021, which pushes us into the middle of February. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other question is going to be is what does trade policy look like under the new administration? Um, For the last three years or so, importers from China have faced an increasing number of duties being piled on uh, by the president through these these Section 301 trade remedies. So people who previously didn't have to pay duty on things from China are now seeing duty rates of 10, 15, 20, 25%. Mm -hmm. Between the United States and the European Union, there are Dueling anti, there are dueling duties um, because of alleged subsidies, which the WTO ruled took place um, for Airbus and for Boeing. So there's trade remedy things happening there. Um, it, it will be very interesting to see because I think the e-commerce genie is out of the bottle. And, and one thing that we've not talked about that that sits out there and a lot of people don't think about is the fact that it's a lot easier to get something dropped straight to your house from Asia than it was previously. So a lot of shippers are actually bypassing the traditional freight route and packaging it for the individual overseas and shipping it over. Um, I'm sure you've seen probably in the last couple of years, the, the increase in like um, deliver to your house suits, for instance, like get yourself a tailor-made suit. I mean, you, you've heard the ads, I've heard the ads um, and get sure, it delivered sure. to your house. So what happens with those is those suits are being made in Asia with people's measurements, and then they're being shipped directly to you. Um, the minimum, or the, the, let me rephrase that, the ceiling, of cust- the ceiling amount that somebody would have to start paying customs duty on over time has moved from $50 when, when I started doing this thing back in the early to mid nineties to now it's an $800 threshold for what's called de minimis. So any package arriving for a person that is $800 or less, they don't have to pay duty on. So a lot of retailers now, rather than bringing things, say, into a West Coast warehouse or an East Coast warehouse and then doing the fulfillment, because sure, they had ship to pay, direct. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, first it was driven by the, by the economies of being able to save money and not having to pay US duties, if there were any. But then when the trade remedy duties were piled on, then there was a double impetus. I mean, we're even seeing where people bring container loads of things to the United States, and then they move them into Mexico or Canada under bond without paying US duties. And then the orders are directly fulfilled from fulfillment warehouses on either sides of the border. So let's take a phone case. Maybe that phone case in the olden days was pre all these trade remedies was duty free. Now it's 25%. So it makes sense for a phone case manufacturer to bring that in, take it to Mexico, put it on a shelf. And then when you or I order a single one of those cases, they put it in an e-commerce envelope. It gets driven across the border with a truckload of, say, 8,000 other phone cases, all of which are below that duty threshold. So the 25% doesn't need to be paid. And then they get injected into a delivery system to wind up on our doorstep.
0: Hmm. That's amazing. Give me a a final thought on your business, which is uh, understanding all that, that we just talked about. How do you market this kind of thing?
1: Well, the thing that's become more poignant for our customers has always been the need to communicate. I mean, the people that do this for a living are used to being road warriors, whether domestically or internationally. They're international going to visit factories, they're international going to visit their partners on the other seas who represent them and vice versa. So people have always been able to get in front of someone to make their point. Um, The inability to do that, the increasing rapidity, with which a lot of trade regulatory and market condition changes have arisen has really been an opportunity for us to be able to step in and say, hey, listen, we understand we're watching this for people. And about as fast as the news comes out, we're able to then turn it and and get it out for people. Um, We joke a lot that, I mean, everybody gets their own custom content, regardless of what the issue happens to be. I mean, it may be a single issue, but that is, as, as I say to some people, we're taking the same boggle board and, and and playing it 15 different ways, 15 unique ways for all of the clients that happen to need that content. And, and I don't see that changing just as, as we enter into 2021. Is it going to be the addition or removal of other trade things? Is it going to be new markets opening? Nobody really knows what Brexit is going to look like yet. So we're watching that very closely for American importers and exporters. And certainly this administration is, or the incoming administration is committed to growing export which means what are the opportunities for u.s companies to other countries or other trading blocks and how are we going to be able to get our goods to their buyers
0: scott that was great uh thanks for joining me today this has been really good i feel like i'm I'm gonna listen to this again because i think there's a number of things i can pick up just by by going over that one more time so thanks for joining me
1: you're very welcome thank you for the time
0: Hey there, thanks for watching. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to hit that like button and subscribe to your more content just like that.